You are listening to Weight Loss Made Real, and this is episode 155. I'm your host, Master Weight Loss Coach and author, Cookie Rosenblum. Today and every Tuesday, I will be your coach and your guide to help you end your emotional eating and lose that extra weight. Here is where we talk about your habit of emotional eating, which is the main focus of all the work I do. This is where coaching meets psychology, which meets brain science, and this is where your problem ends. So get comfortable because today I have another episode of an interview of a Freedom Group member for you. The women in the Freedom Group are pretty unique in their own right, yet they all have so much in common with each other, with me, and with you. And that's what I want you to listen for. So I'd like you to meet Gwen. I selected Gwen to interview today because of the work that she's done on herself, the way that she has taken the concepts she learned in the Freedom Group and applied them really well to her own life. She's been known in the group as someone who gives wise counsel and great support. Now, listen to Gwen's story. She is someone who through the years did different types of work on herself. She felt pretty good generally and still is really pretty confident about herself. Some of the women I work with struggle with their self-esteem because of their extra weight. Some struggle with their weight because of low self-esteem, but some have good self-esteem and they just can't figure out this missing piece of the puzzle. And that is where Gwen comes in. I want you to listen as she shares her story starting at the age of six up until today. She never understood what was within her control when it came to eating and what was not. You'll hear that she thought about food a lot, which I know you will relate to. It just always seemed to be on her mind. It took her a while to make the connection between what caused her to overeat and her weight struggle. She understood what she was doing, but she just couldn't see a way out. I know that you'll enjoy hearing this story of triumph over a lifelong habit, because if Gwen could do this, you can too. Hi, Gwen. Thank you for joining me today. I I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and sharing your story with our listeners. Hi. Thank you for having me. You are currently a member of the Freedom Group, and the reason that I want to interview you today is for you to share a little bit of your story because everybody's different, and I know that there are women listening who will relate to what you've been through and be curious and interested to know how you made the changes that you made. So let's start with you telling me just a little bit about yourself related to your weight and your dieting history. Some of the things we talked about before we started this recording today. As far as my history, um, I don't think it's necessarily atypical as far as dieting. Um, I've tried just about every diet out there probably. I remember being on my first diet at about the age of six because I remember telling my gym teacher that my mother packed salads for the day. Wow. So I have been on a diet pretty much my entire conscious life that I remember. And sometimes it worked. And I remember joining Weight Watchers when I was 19 and dropping 20 pounds and being congratulated at the bowling alley by some other random lady who was also going to Weight Watchers and knew that I had lost weight for that that week. And then I just, I would lose weight 
and I would gain it. It felt so uncontrollable to me um, that I remember being probably in my early 20s and wishing I was anorexic because I just didn't want to deal with food anymore. And I remember at times just feeling like I was an addict because that was the best way I could describe it. I couldn't eat without thinking about the next meal. Right. It was just constantly on my mind. Were there certain times that were particularly troublesome for you, eating certain types of food, certain things that triggered you? What kinds of things did you struggle with? For me, it was definitely carbs and sugar. That was my go-to. It was when I was upset. Um, I remember having a fight with a boyfriend one time and coming home and opening a pound bag of M&Ms, peanut M&Ms were my favorite, and just eating them. And I was seeing a therapist at the time. And I remember telling her, you know, I'm eating these M&Ms and I don't know why I'm eating these M&Ms because I'm not hungry, but I'm upset. And I'm thinking about the fight we had. And I had this epiphany about this fight. And suddenly I didn't want M&Ms. It was like somebody flipped a switch. And she goes, well, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And she said, you know, that makes sense. You know, you were upset and you were eating them, but I didn't make that connection back then. Like if I had made that connection then, I wouldn't be where I got to now. Right. Um, right. But yeah. But most of us don't look for the connection. Most of us look for, all right, how could I control the M&Ms? If M&Ms are what's causing my weight issue, I'll just have less M&Ms or I'll hide them or I'll forbid myself from having them. Yeah. And that sort of worked, but you know, I worked overnight for a number of years and I would just get in the car and in the middle of the night, go get McDonald's or whatever. And then probably the worst thing that happened was we we bought a house and within walking distance of the house was a small uh, convenience store. And so I wouldn't keep anything in the house, but on the weekends I'd go buy junk food. So it really didn't help me to not keep it because it was, it was the same as having it in the house. The fact that I could just walk down the street and buy it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kind of fooled myself into thinking, you know, I'm being quote unquote good because it's not in the house, but I would still run down to the corner store and get my Debbie cakes um, the same anyway. I wasn't doing myself any favors. What kinds of things set you off emotionally? Do you remember? A lot of it was the negative self-talk that I would would beat myself up because it was weird. I was very confident about myself and everything. But whenever I would start thinking about food, I would start trying to kind of harass myself into not eating, which just made it worse. And then I think it just became a pattern of behavior where anything, anytime I thought about food, I would harass myself into not eating because food was obviously my enemy. And then it would just get worse to where if if I tried to stop thinking about food, it was like almost this other self, I tend to think of it as, that was just always there telling me to eat and at the same time telling me how awful I was for wanting wanting to eat all these terrible things. I have been in the I was in the healthcare field for about 10 years, and I saw firsthand what a terrible diet does to people, especially with hypertension and diabetes and all those things. And I had gotten to the point where I felt like I knew that when I ate and binged on all the stuff, I was killing myself. And I knew I was doing it, but I couldn't stop. So you had the intellectual understanding that what you were doing made no sense, but it sounds like it felt like you were trapped in a circle, just going around and around of feeling something, wanting to eat the sweets and the carbs, and then getting mad at yourself and trying to beat yourself into not doing it, but that never worked. Yeah, pretty much. I would try to go on diets, which, you know, you try to follow these like, well, you're supposed to be eating this many calories. And so I'd be good for the entire day and I'd get to the end of the day. And it was like, I was an empty pit. Like I couldn't 
help but eat. And I hated myself for it because I'm like, well, I'm clearly going past this line that I, in the sand that I drew, but yet I couldn't feel like I could stop. I mean, I didn't feel like I could stop. How many years did you struggle that way, Gwen? Pro- I know through my teenage years, so probably close to 25. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, every I, I got to a BMI of almost 51, which is more morbidly obese at that point, almost super morbidly obese. And I hated going to the doctor because I'd go to the doctor and they'd say, well, you need to lose weight. And I, yeah, I totally agree with you. I just <laughs> can't. And then they'd always say something like, well, go to Weight Watchers or, or here's a, the things you should eat. But because I had spent so much time trying to lose weight, I knew all those answers. I knew what healthy looked like. I just couldn't get my brain to go along with it. So it must have been ridiculously frustrating because you are so aware and you are so intelligent and you see what's happening, but it feels like nothing really works. Yeah. Yeah. It was extremely frustrating. So you tried Weight Watchers, you tried calorie counting, you tried just making deals with yourself. I've tried Nutrisystem, I've tried the cookie diet, I've tried um, the Weight Watchers I did multiple times for their multiple different versions of it. I've tried um, the Atkins diet, low-carb dieting, Um, and that was actually the, the one that took away my cravings the most, but then that got too limiting, too restricting. And then I started feeling like I wasn't normal anymore because I couldn't eat any of these things Right. Um, that, I, that I wanted, even in small amounts. Uh, I probably tried just eating one type of thing for several days or several weeks. I've tried just not eating and you know fasting and intermittent fasting and all these things and or eat healthy for four days and eat whatever you want for two. Like I've, yes. I've tried all Mm-hmm. All versions of it. All right. So I have to back up and ask you, what is the cookie diet? Or what was the cookie diet? The cookie diet still exists. Right. And it's where they sell you this packaged cookie. And so you can eat a cookie. It's it's one of those like meal replacements. So you eat a cookie per meal and then have a regular healthy dinner or something like that. Right. Um, okay. But I think the gimmick is it's a cookie. <laughs> Therefore, it's okay because <laughs> you're getting to have a cookie on your diet. Right, right. So you could tell yourself you're not deprived, you could still have sweets. Yes. It sounds like much of what you tried, I know you said at one point you did see a counselor or a therapist, but most of what you tried really related to the food, controlling what went into your mouth in many, many different ways, trying to control that. But was there ever any point when you said, hey, the reason I'm eating is because I'm feeling blank. Let me work on that. Or was that that not on your radar at that point? I saw a therapist back when I was about 20, which we did work on all those emotions, which kind of helped my self-esteem. And I kind of, I stopped being a people pleaser because up to that point, I was very much a people pleaser to my disadvantage a lot of times. And I remember towards the end of of working with her, I, I would ask her about I want to address my weight. And really her suggestions were, were purely tangible, like eat this. Or I remember her saying, she was very thin. And I remember her saying, well, whenever I'm going to eat something that I don't think is good for me, I just think about what it would look like on my hip. <laughs> I was like, well, that's clearly not going to stop me from eating it. <laughs> right, right. Because uh, it's already on my hip. <laughs> right. I mean, um, that's like the warning on the pack of cigarettes. It's a warning and it's real, but it doesn't really stop that many people. Right. And I, I did, it's actually very hard to find a therapist that specializes in any kind of food addiction that isn't anorexia. Ironically, 
I actually worked at a inpatient treatment center for um, eating disorders. Um, they specialized in treating anorexia, but during the time I worked there, uh, they also had someone come in for, I'm guessing, binge disorder. She was she was heavy, and it, I doubt it was just overeating. It was probably binge binge eating disorder. And I remember the other staff that worked with me would, you know, because you tend to discuss patients and, and things that are going on just in terms of coworker discussions. And they wanted to know why she was there because she clearly didn't have a problem. She wasn't like one of the anorexics. And I remember right. thinking, no, I, I kind of feel like her. Right. And so right. I didn't I didn't really identify I, I knew that I was eating in response to things, but I never really associated the why. I just felt like I had no control over it. Right. And I think that you were trying to find a category that you fit into that would deal with your issue, but it was not really an eating disorder. It was more just feeling out of control, intelligently trying all different solutions. And probably I'm guessing that during this period, when you tried so many different things that you felt frustrated. Yeah. And I don't think it necessarily was an eating disorder during all that time. Um, I think I just got into these habits and responses, kind of yes. like Pavlov's dog. And that just became my fallback where I didn't even realize that was an, a negative coping mechanism. Yes. Um, I think it did turn into a binge eating disorder as time went on. And I, I ended up in your group because I, I was always reading books and, and trying to find a new diet version and things like that. And I ended up going through a series of books that led me to Katherine Hansen's book. And I realized what she was describing was the exact same thing. Like I could completely identify with what she was feeling and what was driving her to eat and everything else. And then when I started practicing that, I realized I don't eat for any reason other than my brain is telling me to eat. Like I, I can cope with all these emotions. I know how. It's just that I've been practicing doing it the wrong way. Yes. So it morphed into, it morphed from overeating into a binge eating disorder. And you yes. found Catherine's work, which is great for binge eating. Uh, we used to do work together on that. And then what happened? Did the binge eat, were you able to conquer the binge eating and then learn how to eat naturally? No. <laughs> I went through her eight week program and I, the binge eating was, was gone. But what I found was that I had fallen back into overeating as opposed to binge eating. In, in her program, she goes through this, you know, where you have to just allow yourself to eat. You can't restrict yourself because that kind of brings the whole binging back. Yes. Um, so I kind of took that to an extreme. So I kind of I just started eating everything that I hadn't let myself eat or that I was beating myself about eating. And then I realized that I had fallen into overeating, not emotionally, because I didn't feel like there was any emotion involved, but there was still the desire to eat, just not to eat the huge quantities that I had been eating. So it, it really became just habitual overeating. Yeah, that's exactly what it felt like. It was, it, was, it was no longer like that drive and addiction to eat, but it was still like, oh, I'll just have some of this and some of this. And, and I, I realized I didn't know how to address that without restricting that I had done in the past. And I didn't want to go back words at this point. And I think at that point, I had already signed up for your freedom group at some point, but it wasn't open. And right around when I was coming to terms with that, I got an email that it was open. And I'm like, yeah, I might as well try it because everything else has been going well. So that's yeah. how I'm here. Well, I'm certainly glad that you did. What 
prevented you from giving up? I mean, you tried so many things. What was the thought that kept you going and kept you searching? I know that you generally, aside from the eating, feel and felt pretty good about yourself. So what what kept you going to solve the problem versus say to yourself, oh, well, this is just where I am. This is my life. This is me. You know, whatever I weigh, I weigh. And however I eat, I eat. Because the reality was, uh, it's not healthy to be almost 300 pounds. I'm 5'2". I mean, I was super morbidly obese at almost 300 pounds. Right. And it was affecting my ability to move around in the world. I travel a lot for my job, and I needed to upgrade to first class to make sure I had enough room in in the seats. You know, I couldn't go to theme parks with my son and get on the rides because I was too big. So it's great to love yourself. But at the same time, it really was impinging on my ability to function in the world. Right. I, I like that you really could clearly see how your life was impacted by carrying around extra weight that was just excess. Your body just simply didn't need it. So you got on the waiting list for the Freedom Group, and the Freedom Group, you know, deals with both emotional eating and habitual overeating. By the time we opened up and you came in, were you hopeful? Were you optimistic that maybe this would be the solution? I think I was just kind of neutral to possibly not quite hopeful. I mean, I I was glad that the binge eating was under control, but I also had tried so many things that I kind of go into everything kind of a little guarded. So I kind of just wanted to see where it went. And the more I went through the lessons, the more I realized really your program is premised on on cognitive behavioral therapy. It's changing your thinking to change your behavior. Yes. And I knew I had done that in the past and it works very well for me because I tend to be a very logical person. I, I don't like the emotional side of things. I want things to be logical. So it tended to work well for the way I think. Well, I'm glad. And I'm glad that you got over the hump and did give yourself the gift of trying one more thing, even though you were frustrated and hadn't figured it out so far. So you come into the Freedom Group and you know that we learn how to eat like a natural eater from our body's signals of when we're hungry, when we've had enough. You learned how to manage your thinking around the eating And you learned about habits because you were not emotionally triggered as an eater, but you had all these habits around food. And we also learn, Gwen, as you know, how to take care of yourself. How did you find the whole learning process? What was easy for you? What was hard for you? I tend to be an auditory learner. So for me, it was the um, the, the short podcast that you had. And then the calling into the groups were the thing that I think helps the most. Because when I was listening to you talk to other people, sometimes I would key in on phrases that really spoke to me. For me, it was it was the constant exposure to listening to what you're saying, kind of the, the um, coaching of, of other people and sometimes myself when I had a question. And um, I know there were moments that I heard you say things that went, oh, like a light went off in my brain. I can't remember what they were specifically. But right. that's for me because I'm an auditory person. And the more I hear, the, the more I, I tend to process and learn. One of the things that I offer, as you know, is different ways to take the information in watching a video or listening to a recording and or doing a sheet, a worksheet, and or talking to me on the call. And I know that you attended quite a few calls that were live 
And often you were at work, I think, and you couldn't actually speak, which happens to a lot of our members who can't attend live and they listen later or they write in a question. But for you, you were able to at least get a lot out of it just listening to other people being coached. Yeah, because I, I mean, I don't think I'm very different from many of the people that have ended up in this group. So yes. even if it wasn't me asking the question, it was probably a question I had or, or something I wanted to address. And I, listening to you address somebody else for the same thing was as good as addressing me. Yeah, I agree with that. A lot of people doubt that and they say, hey, it's a group. I'm not going to get enough one-on-one attention. As unique as we all are, we all share a lot of the same habits and patterns and behavior and ways of thinking. So you undoubtedly heard other people experiencing the same things that you do. And I think sometimes it's almost easier to hear somebody else be coached because you're removed and you're a little more objective. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, that that makes that's true because then you don't feel the pressure on yourself. When when you feel pressured, I feel like you have part of your brain isn't fully engaged in listening because you're you're worried about how you sound and, and maybe how you're presenting yourself to other people. Mm-hmm. So when you're you're not the one who's being addressed, you can fully engage in what you're listening to. That's right. You don't feel like you're in the hot seat. Exactly. So did you have, during the process, was there a lot of up and down, slipping and backsliding? Or, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely not like I, I walked in on day one and it just went perfect for the rest of the time. I think for the first two and a half months, probably three months of doing it, I wasn't able to implement anything that I, I was really listening and, and learning about on. It, it was just a process of kind of taking it in and then observing my own behavior. I, I couldn't just walk in and start doing stuff. It, it was more about learning what I was doing and kind of comparing it to what I was listening in the podcast. Because for the first few months, all I did was really listen to the podcast and um, did some of the worksheets and, and did some of the live group telephone calls mm-hmm. or uh, whatever these are. <laughs> the coaching um, call, the Zoom calls, right? Yes, those. So that's really all I did. And then it's like it slowly started to click into place. And it was like I could start, once I knew what my brain was doing, I could take a moment when it was doing it and say, oh, okay, I know what this is. And it would happen two or three times a week. And then it happened four or five times a week. And then it would happen two or three times a day. So it was a slowly, slow incremental process of being able to recognize what my brain was doing and how I wanted to respond to that. Yes. Yes. And you're right. That does take time. I think that we all could learn and understand a concept intellectually, but then putting it into action in your own life. And as you said, being able to step back and see what you were doing and catch yourself again and again and again, that's eventually what leads to change. Yeah. And there were definitely times where I would go and I would eat a handful of cookies and then I'd stand there and go, wait, why did I just eat a handful of cookies? What just happened? And it's that whole thought download that, that, that's what you call it, that you instruct on. And um, I just naturally started to do it. I would take a pause and I think, okay, well, that's what my brain was doing. That's what I was thinking. So the next time it happened, I could pause before I took the handful of cookies. Yes, exactly. So what's different for you now? You mentioned on the calls 
several times different scenarios in your life, with your family, with friends at work, traveling, that used to be issues for you. And it sounded like you could see them coming. You had this new knowledge. You had a little bit of practice under your belt. How did things become different for you? Can you think of an example? I can think of several. My brain, and I remember that because I was so used to eating, but I felt like I was judged a lot, it became a habit to look for occasions when it was deemed okay socially to eat. So if you were going camping, for example, it's okay to eat terrible food and and, and drunk food when you're camping because you're camping, right? You're not going to be making salads and things like that. Right. So, or when you're uh, on a trip, everyone takes snacks on a trip, right? You know, on a long car trip or you end up going to McDonald's or, or whatever the fast food is, is off the highway. So I started having these almost jubilant feelings around these kinds of events because I knew I could eat without getting judged because everyone else thinks it's okay to eat. I would be the person that planned parties at work because then it's okay for me to, for me to eat a bunch of junk food because everyone else is eating a bunch of junk food. And I 100% remember having this like excited feeling every time I would run into an event or an event was coming when it was okay to socially eat a lot of food. Like it was the justification exactly. for allowing yourself to go into those habits. Right. Exactly. That is completely gone because I don't need to eat a lot of food. There was an, a moment that I think was my epiphany. I was sitting at home and it was a weekend and we, we generally go food shopping on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. So by Saturday, usually the fridge is pretty bare. Whatever we plan for the week is, is gone. And I needed lunch and there wasn't anything good. And I remember sitting there and walking around the kitchen going, what am I going to have for lunch? I need, I, there's nothing good in the house. And I literally stopped in my tracks and thought, I don't need to have anything good. Every event doesn't have to be like an overwhelming gourmet dish. It just right. needs to be food to get me the dinner. Right, right. But that was actually completely an epiphany. Like it had, I had never viewed food that way. I never viewed it as a way to really nourish myself. I guess I knew it intellectually, but I had never learned it, if that you makes never, sense. And you never caught yourself in the moment seeing that that's what you were going for, that pleasure from the food. Yeah. So, you know, it was that moment where I was like, I don't, I don't need this to be fantastic. I just need it to keep me from being hungry. So um, I think people might be wondering with what you just said is, Getting things in perspective, can food still be pleasurable to you? Oh, absolutely. I totally still enjoy chocolate. It is the best thing in the world. A good piece of cake is still my thing or a really good burger. It's not like food isn't pleasurable. It's that I don't live for that pleasure. Right. And do you find yourself diversifying a little bit in other ways that you give yourself pleasure? Yeah. And I used to bake and I, I don't know, like a lot of people, but I used to eat like a third of what I baked. Or if there were scraps left over from a cake I was doing something with, I would be the one eating it. Right. Um, I still love to bake and I actually, I love to do artwork. I've done artwork since I was in, um, in high school. But most of the time, I don't, I don't do a lot of it because it feels like a waste. I don't have a lot of walls in my house, so it end up in a corner somewhere. Um, right. So now I take my artwork into my baking, and I consider it edible art. So I put a lot of effort into what I do. And most people look at it and say, well, there's no point in making it that pretty. And I'm like, well, but it's art. So yeah, and then you get to eat it, which is even better. Right. But you're not, you're not overdoing it the way that you used to. Oh, no, I still overdo that. 
<laughs> I, I ran a, a bake sale, pretty much a quarter of everything we sold at the bake sale was mine. Mm. Um, I still push myself on that side of it. That's part of my per- perfectionist person, which I've dialed back a lot. A B is okay. Um, I had to learn that on my own. You know, I don't have to be a straight A student. Occasionally a B or a B plus is, is fine. But for what I find to be relaxing is not what most people find to be relaxing. I do that much when I bake because I love to bake and I find it to be extraordinarily relaxing. My husband thinks it's annoying because there's a lot of dishes, but. (laughs) So let me just back up for a sec to make sure I understand. You're not saying that you've cut back on the baking. It's more that even if you consider yourself overdoing the baking itself, it's because you get pleasure out of it, but you're no longer overdoing the eating of your beautiful products. Oh, I don't eat any of my beautiful products. Ah. In well, fact, hey. there's there's so much sugar in them, I don't think anybody should eat them. <laughs> but everyone likes to, so I make them anyway. No, I actually don't don't eat anything that I make anymore. I don't even have the urge to taste I mean, I taste test like the icing cuz I have to, things like that, but I generally will just make it and take it and I don't even eat the scraps. I actually can throw stuff away now, which is a whole new concept. That is a whole new concept. So you're still getting to do something you're good at and that you love. And it happens to involve food, you know, highly palatable food. And yet you're getting pleasure out of doing it without loading yourself up on so much sugar like you used to. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and it's, it's not that, you know, the feelings of wanting to eat stuff went completely away. They're still there. It's not like I have a blank slate now. It's Mm -hmm. just that I don't give them any importance. There's no weight. Like, yeah, okay, it's there. I don't want it. I I have other goals that I want to achieve. And eating that cookie isn't going to get me there for today, but I might have it tomorrow. With my family, we actually do a a movie night once once a month or once every like two months um, where I'll go to the bakery and I'll buy half a dozen different desserts, like little cakes and cookies, and we cut it up into pieces and then for after dinner, for watch, while we're watching the movie, we'll taste test all these little things from the bakery. It's not that I don't ever eat any of this stuff. It's right. just that now I might eat half a cookie and half a cupcake, as opposed to before I would have eaten both cupcakes and, and maybe taken my son's cookie. So you're able to stop. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a major skill, right? Because you're not <laughs> saying this is forbidden from my life forever. You know, I'm going to have a barren existence without ever having sugar. But you, you have found a way to enjoy it in a way where you're in charge. Yeah, and that's, and that's what it comes down to. And so after I did the whole binge eating work, I was able to have food in the house again. Because really, to say it's not in the house is lying to myself because I was more than capable of going to the store, driving somewhere, or walking down to the corner store. It it was a lie to think that if it wasn't in the house, I was never going to eat it because I am a perfectly capable person that can move. Or hiding um, it, or hiding it in your house from yourself. Yeah, because I I know where I put it. Like that doesn't help. <laughs> exactly. Me. Right. And out of sight, out of mind never worked because it was always on my mind. So the binge eating helped me just not eat massive quantities, so I could have this stuff in the house. But then I was still kind of that walk by the cookie jar, grab a cookie kind of thing. Now it's it's all there, and I enjoy my tea with my two or three cookies at the end of the night, but that's where it stops. I don't have to have the other half dozen just because they were really good right now. They'll be good tomorrow and the day after too. And in training yourself to know when enough is enough, 
you're not restricting, and I'm assuming that you don't have any feelings of being deprived. Oh, I'm, I'm not deprived at all. If you look in my house right now, there's probably more candy in it than there has ever been. In fact, I'm sitting at my desk and I have all the leftover Halloween candy that I didn't give out because we didn't get enough trick-or-treaters. But it's fine. It's just candy. I don't feel deprived. If I want to have one, I can certainly have one. But it's not going to, doesn't fit into the goals that I have right now. So I'm not going to have one. Right. It's, it's just a different mindset rather than saying, I can't have that candy bar. You can have it, but then your end goals are not going to be achieved when you want them to, or you're going to have to change the end goals you want. So it's, it's kind of a very realistic, down-to-earth way of looking at the facts, which are no one's tying you up and saying you can never eat that again. You're choosing what works for you in conjunction with knowing where you want your life to go. Yes, but I think for so many years, I was just in this mentality that I can't have this at all if I want to reach this goal. I can't do this at all if I want to reach this goal that I just, I would start fighting back against that because, well, who wants to live a life without chocolate if that's the thing you really like? You want to fit it in somewhere. And I just, it was almost like I would get to the point where I would just explode and rebel and eat a pound of chocolate. And now it's just, it's my decision. No one's telling me I can't have it. No one's saying I can't reach my goal if I have it. I just need to be more grounded in whether how I fit it into my life. Yes. And you've just done a beautiful job of that. What's next for you, Gwen, in terms of your goals and what you want to work on on you? I actually want to get drop enough weight that I can uh, learn to play tennis because I've always wanted to play tennis. I never thought of myself as an athletic person until a, a couple of people started asked me, actually uh, several different people asked me if I, if I was an athlete in high school because I was playing a, a game that I seemed to have been an athlete. And the truth is I always wanted to do sports, but my mother never wanted me to because girls don't do sports. So I want to drop enough weight to go back and learn all the stuff that I missed out on. Yeah. I love that. I grew up in that same family mindset of boys played sports and there were a lot of things that girls didn't do. So I relate to that. So you're at a new place in your life. You're feeling good about yourself. You're well on the journey towards where you want to go. What would you say to people who are listening, who are on the fence or confused about how to solve their eating issues, whether they're emotionally triggered or just by habit? What advice would you give our listeners? I think the most important thing is to be patient with yourself because you really, you, you can't force yourself into anything that you aren't ready to do yet. So if you're not patient, then you, I feel like you're going to push yourself backwards because you're going to try and fall, you're going to end up falling back into those old habits out of sheer frustration. So I think patience with yourself is probably the most important thing. Yeah. And I definitely see that a lot. There is kind of a small subset of people who come into the freedom group and they want results yesterday because they made a decision. They're going to try something. They expect to see overnight results, which is the old diet mentality. You know, try this, (laughs) eat this don't eat that, take this pill, drink this drink, and you'll lose 21 pounds in 21 days. But real life, as we both know, doesn't work that way. Right. Well, you've given me a lot to think about, and I think you've given our listeners a lot to think about, Gwen, in terms of what's possible, in terms of the magnitude of how you can change the way you approach the whole eating issue. So thank you again for sharing your story with us. And I look forward to continuing to chat with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gwen.
Thank you for sharing this time with me and Gwen, and last week with me and Pat as we spoke. These women's success can be yours. If you've been enjoying these coaching sessions with me, and you'd love to get personal guidance from me, join the Freedom Group now. We are open for enrollment. We're only open three or four times a year, and only for a few days. When we work together in this group, yes, of course, you will lose weight. Of course, you will conquer your emotional eating. But even more than that, you'll lose this whole problem. I'll teach you how to eat, how to think, and how to care for yourself just like a natural eater does. So if you're interested in taking what you're learning from this podcast and these little coaching sessions and taking it to a deeper level, I want you to check out the show notes where there'll be a link to get started in the Freedom Group right now. All the details will be there. You can also go to weightlossmadereal.com forward slash group. All right, my friend, I hope to see you back here next week where we will continue to work on your emotional eating and those overeating habits step by step until they both become something you used to do, because I know that is your ultimate goal. For now, this is your coach Cookie reminding you that as you search for answers, keep it real just like you. And I will see you next week.